0: This is a WKYT podcast.
1: Good evening, I'm Bill Bryant. Welcome to the Kentucky Debate. For the next hour, we will be talking with the two nominees fighting it out for Kentucky's 6th District Congressional seat, Republican Andy Barr and Democrat Josh Hicks. The sixth district stretches from the bluegrass region of Central Kentucky to the Appalachian foothills. The district has flip-flopped between the two major political parties since the 1970s. Working with the League of Women Voters, we'll be asking a series of questions tonight that impact Kentuckians from all walks of life. We'll also have a closing statement, but we were going to get right into our questions tonight because we have a lot of ground to cover. And we start with the COVID-19 pandemic. It has had a devastating impact on our economy. Our local governments and our education systems are impacted as well. Many of our families are struggling right now with housing and food and jobs. So what next steps must Congress take to support families and local communities as we continue to deal with this pandemic? Mr. Barr.
2: Well, first of all, uh, thank you, Bill and WKYT, for hosting this debate. And I want to first thank uh, the thousands of Kentuckians who uh, have lifted up me and my girls in prayer over these last several months. This is a great community. There's uh, a lot of wonderful people that we represent. And it's not just my family that's gone through a difficult time this year. All Americans have had a very difficult time, whether uh, losing loved ones to the virus or Uh, as a result of economic hardship because of the economic shutdown so i'm very particularly proud of our response getting results uh... as a result of this pandemic in the congress uh... working on the committee at the center of the economy uh, developing and implementing and enhancing a paycheck protection program delivering uh, loans to uh, Main Street and keeping workers on the payroll, uh, delivering uh, billions of dollars of help to hospitals, life saving personal protective equipment, uh, multiple shipments of PPE, expanding telehealth, uh, guaranteeing every American, even those without insurance, uh, free COVID testing, and then serving on this special China task force to hold the Chinese Communist Party accountable for their lies and cover up, which enabled this virus to spread. Mr. Hicks, your
1: response.
0: Well, thank you, Bill. And first, let me also thank WKYT and the Legal Women Voters for having us here. Uh, I think this is an important thing that folks get to hear from the people that might represent them in Congress. I think what we have seen as far as a federal response to coronavirus has been a failure. Uh, we have lost 200,000 Americans. We have lost more than 1,200 Kentuckians. We have seen 63 million people claim unemployment in this United States. We've had almost 1.5 million unemployment claims here in the state of Kentucky. So while the... HEROES Act, the the COVID relief bill that was passed by Congress, had some good things in it. It didn't reach where it needed to reach. So people like my sister back home in Fleming County, where I'm from, she didn't get in the first round. Billion-dollar corporations did, publicly traded corporations did, but my sister did not. And where we failed to take into account regular folks first, where we have failed to have the accountability that kept those dollars from going places they should not, I can't call that a success, and so I think the next step has
1: to be not only getting this virus under control, but a relief package that helps regular Americans. We've agreed to uh, rebuttals as well. Uh, uh, Mr. Barr, do you have an additional response?
2: Well, I do. Unfortunately, uh, my opponent would be another voice for a liberal Washington agenda from Nancy Pelosi, who has blocked another round of PPP, has blocked a streamlined forgiveness program that I have led in the Congress. Unfortunately, we don't need another supporter of Nancy Pelosi who's blocking that real Main Street relief. And by the way, the vast majority of the PPP loans, 84 percent of them have gone to Uh, businesses less than $150,000. Literally, this has been a lifeline that has saved countless uh, Kentuckians jobs. We're talking about 51 million Americans jobs have been saved as a result of our historic intervention in the economy.
1: Time, Mr. Hicks. Just to say,
0: Bill, that I'm not anybody's voice other than the people of the 6th District. I didn't get recruited to run this race. I'm not here to follow anybody. I'm not going to be following Mitch McConnell or Nancy Pelosi or anybody else. I'm just here to do the things that the people of the 6th District need. So the whole narrative that I have somehow got into this race because someone needed me to, other than the people here, is just, it's, it's a farce on its face. And, and I can tell you, when you have businesses that are still going under, when we're still having cases every day, when we're still losing thousands of Americans every day, when there's a break, outbreak in the White House that has infected all these people, I don't know
1: how you call that a success. Let's go to our next question. For Kentuckians, President Trump and Governor Bashir are the two most important voices that they've been hearing regarding the COVID-19 pandemic. At uh, many times, their messages have been very different. Uh, what uh, grade or assessment would you give uh, each of them for their handling of the health crisis and why? And we'll begin this time with Mr. Hicks.
0: I give Governor Bashir an A. I think he has saved Kentuckians. I think we have seen a much better COVID response in this state than others. And what makes that so hard to watch is that we know what good leadership gets for folks. We know it saves lives. We know it keeps businesses open and running and going. We know that those things... Help, And so when I don't see a response from the federal government that lines up with that, when I don't see a unified front against a virus this deadly, 7 million cases in the United States already, when I don't see everybody locking arms and getting together and say, we're going to fight this together, it, 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 it seems like while Governor Mashir deserves an A, If you have an outbreak in your White House and your press secretary gets it and the first lady gets it and the president gets it and three Republican senators get it and all these other folks get it, I don't know how you
1: could give that anything other than an F. Mr. Barr, your response?
2: Well, I have worked with our governor and and worked to deliver three shipments from the Strategic National Stockpile of personal protective equipment for our local hospitals. We've worked to stand up uh, testing capabilities uh, with the state of Kentucky. I am disappointed that more of the coronavirus relief funds from the CARES Act that I voted for has not yet been deployed to our local uh, governments yet. But I will say this. The federal response has been praised by Dr. Anthony Fauci, who said that we have saved uh, perhaps up to two million American lives because of the response remember at the very beginning this is a novel coronavirus nobody knew what this was it was a it was a virus from a foreign land from China and this president immediately shut down the border with China and shut down travel from Europe and shut down travel from the United Kingdom. That saved uh, hundreds of thousands of lives, and in addition to that, with, uh, with Project Airbridge, with the use of the Defense Production Act, with the CARES Act, the bipartisan work that we've done to deliver billions of dollars in assistance uh, uh, to local hospitals, and the fact that we're on the precipice of a safe and effective vaccine through opera- Operation Warp Speed, uh, this is a historic achievement. Listen, it's not perfect, and we've got a lot more work to do, but uh, the criticism is not helpful, and it's very divisive.
0: time, uh, Mr. Hicks, a rebuttal. Yes, sir. Um, you know, criticism is a part of accountability, and where you screw something up, you have to be accountable for it. And so talking about Dr. Stack's work and getting us PPE, PPE here in Kentucky and taking credit for it, I'm not sure you, you were the driving force behind that. <laughs> but no matter what you say... It has to be asked why we got three shipments here, but 18 tons got shipped to China. That's not right. We have to find out why we were praising the communist president for his transparency and his great work on this. Because until we find that out, we're not going to know how to stop it.
2: Mr. Barr? You know, uh, so Operation and Project Airbridge brought brought to the United States billions of pieces of personal protective equipment from Asia during the pandemic. Not the other way around. And we reduced the travel time of uh, resupply of personal protective equipment from 30 days to two days, and over 70 Defense Production Act to build up the resiliency of our supply chain. 140,000 ventilators are now in the strategic stockpile, Uh, billions of new PPE, and our office worked very diligently to deliver telehealth expanded telehealth medicine to provide cutting edge help and protect frontline healthcare workers during the pandemic there's a lot that our office did to deliver results for central kentucky patients and healthcare providers all right
1: time uh, so uh, covid and the economy obviously the major issues uh, facing uh, everyone across the country and here in the sixth district right now so as the pandemic continues and winter approaches uh, what is the appropriate balance between opening up uh, the state and the economy and protecting uh, citizens in particular the elderly who are vulnerable more vulnerable to COVID-19. Mr. Barr.
2: Well the nursing homes obviously have been a big problem with uh, COVID-19 and I'm proud that my office again focusing on results getting solutions and we advocated specifically for Kentucky nursing homes uh, in a letter to the Department of Health and Human Services delivering millions of dollars in personal protective equipment and uh, guidelines to make sure that uh, the nursing homes were educated about how to keep their residents safe. Uh, that's a work of our office. But we, in addition to that, I mean, we have we have done many things that were helpful on the front lines of this pandemic in a nationwide way. I mentioned telehealth. We work with the local epidemiologist to change a nationwide rule that allowed for in-hospital telemedicine. We helped a constituent who worked for a pharmaceutical company that manufactured propofol, an anesthetic sedative that's used in intubated COVID patients on ventilators. We got a foreign government to release a shipment of that that saved uh, many, many lives, mainly in New York. That came out of our district. We're getting results.
1: Mr. Hicks.
0: I have to ask, if you can do all those things with a letter, I'm unsure why I was talking to nurses that were reusing N95 masks five days in a row putting them in paper bags and hanging them in their lockers and then coming back to them day after day, if all it took was a letter, how come we were still there? How come we're still here? You talk about the Defense Production Act. Has it ever been activated for PPE? Yeah. Do we have it here? Do we have enough PPE right now? And if you can write a letter and get it, why don't you write that letter? Dr. Stack, Governor Bashir have done a good job in, in reaching out and making sure we get what we need from the national stockpile. But I won't even say it's what we need. It's what we deserve. These are things that were in the national stockpile for a reason, so we could use them. And the fact the fact that, that we're touting results, despite the fact that we have lost more than 100 of your own constituents, it doesn't make any sense. We've lost folks here, and we're still half open, half closed, and we still don't have good federal guidance, and we still don't have a unified front. We instead just
2: still have political hackery going on even in this debate. Mr. Barr, do you have further? Uh, I, I do. Um, look. Uh, On the same day that I was actually introducing legislation to hold the Chinese Communist Party accountable for this novel pandemic outbreak, uh, my opponent was opening up a medical malpractice That's a lie. That's a, a, a lie. A law firm uh, to sue doctors and hospitals. That's a lie. And he advertised That's a that. Lie. So there's a, li- he, he, a lie. he likes to this talk. He likes to talk. I like to deliver results. And we've done that. And, and yes, our nurses didn't have the supplies they needed. And so we worked in innovative ways to conserve PPE and keep them out of COVID patients rooms and still deliver quality health care to them. We get results, we're working, my opponent likes to talk.
0: Mr. Hicks, that's a pathetic lie. I I filed lawsuits in 2019, and those lawsuits were to protect clients who had been harmed by corporations that fund your campaigns. And so I am out here trying to work for regular folks. And the fact the fact that you're talking about these things despite knowing they're a lie should disqualify you from ever holding public office I cannot believe we're standing here despite the fact you know it's a lie you're still gonna say it as if it would stick ask my clients what I do for them
1: and when I do it you can't trust a lying politician let's talk about health care access this is a yes no question and actually a sort of a compound question here the yes no question is do you believe that health care is a right for all citizens. Yes or no? The Affordable Care Act may be overturned by the Supreme Court next month in whole or in part. If that happens, uh, should action be taken to provide uh, affordable access to health care to all citizens? Mr. Hicks first on that response.
0: Absolutely believe that health care without fear of bankruptcy is a human right. Absolutely believe that. Folks are are in the middle of the worst pandemic we've had in a hundred years. And to leave them, to strip them of things like protections for pre-existing conditions, to keep their prescription drug costs high, is unconscionable. It's disqualifying. And yet, here we are with a lawsuit still in front of the Supreme Court to strip away the protections like those for folks with pre-existing conditions. It's going to price them out of the market. And they don't have a plan. There's no plan to replace this. They just want to get rid of it. And that's what's so, that's so, what's so harmful to see from someone who calls himself a public servant, is that someone would sell us out to health insurers, to corporations, to all of these things, and then go and do their bidding in Washington, D.C. We will absolutely have to act to protect people with pre-existing conditions, to bring prescription drug prices down, to make sure that people don't have to choose between paying a premium and paying their rent, to make sure that people don't have to choose between buying insulin or having something to eat. That's just an unconscionable thing to have happen. Mr. Barr.
2: You know, name calling doesn't make an argument more persuasive, and calling me a liar uh, when he has consistently lied about my desire, especially after uh, my personal situation, uh, to protect people with pre-existing conditions is downright offensive. Look. I have empathy for your family who has pre-existing conditions, my family that uh, struggled with my, my spouse who died of a pre-existing condition, my sister who has lived her whole life with a chronic illness and a pre-existing condition. But to suggest that I don't want to protect people with pre-existing conditions is downright offensive. The, the, fact of the, matter, the fact of the matter is, politicians like my opponent and Nancy Pelosi, <laughs> the difference between them and me on pre-existing conditions is that they think the only way you can protect people with pre-existing conditions is to support a law that doubled and tripled premiums that, that forced people to lose their choices of doctors that hurt the very people who struggle with pre-existing conditions. I don't talk. I had the honor of representing many families who were hurt by the uh, Affordable Care Act because they lost their choice of doctors and they saw their premiums skyrocket as a result. And these were people with pre-existing conditions. I have empathy for your family. Please have empathy for the people of this district who you seek to represent right. that actually were harmed by the law. I, I, I voted have, consistently. I to so support people with pre conditions. I just yeah. wanted I to so do so. I just want support support uh, so that much will empathy lower for the people the of this district of that I
0: want to remove a harmful presence. Someone who has failed at being a public servant, someone who has served 15 years in politics, a career politician, someone who has sucked up tax dollars forever in his salary and has free health care that will not be affected at all. Commit on this stage that you will live under the plan that you will put forth for the American people. Commit on this stage. That you will deny the government sponsored health care that you get, and you will live under the same plan that My you would have for the American people. Mr. What I commit
2: to is I will never support your plan, which so would lead a no. to a government a no. takeover over health put bureaucrats in Won't charge to it of you people know it's who, ha- who struggle with pre existing conditions. You know that's one, one thing. I, I, also, I also commit to not suing the very doctors and hospitals that are trying to treat patients during a pandemic. A lie. And, and you th- that is not a lie. That is not a lie. You can say you, Unless I don't like the Fact. No, you know it's a lie. No, you know you're, I filed uh, lawsuits in 2019. You spoke. Now, you let me know, give, you let, give you know me, a chance. I, uh, give me a chance. Mr. Hicks, let Mr. Barr finish, Give please. me a chance to make my point. You don't like the fact that our well-researched, accurate, and fact-checked ad tells the truth about you. What you have chosen to do in your professional life is sue doctors and frontline health care workers right in the middle of, of a pandemic and tie them up. You're also suing Johnson & Johnson, a pharmaceutical company that's developing a vaccine for COVID. 97
0: million dollar judgment in Oklahoma for poisoning that state. <laughs> how many has the opioid manufacturers poisoned in this state? See, this and how is the many problem of them have given trials. you money?
2: You know, right. my opponent's even s- and threatening to sue me right now.
1: <laughs> but let's talk about this, this, this. You know, and again, the, the big... Uh, flash here about uh, pre-existing conditions but it is important both of you are promising uh, to protect the health care options for those with those pre-existing conditions and we have a lot of those here diabetes obesity heart disease major factors that drag down the health of Kentuckians. So each of you has made the case that your opponent does not uh, protect those with the pre-existing conditions. Uh, You seem both to know more about the others' uh, stance than what you're saying about your own. Uh, What rule would you insist on uh, if you're elected to uh, the next Congress? Mr. Barr?
2: The legislation that I supported to replace Obamacare, that hurt people with pre-existing conditions, that forced my constituents like like Laura to lose health care coverage and her doctor. for Her daughter with a congenital heart defect, her cardiac the pediatric cardiologist for her daughter, or that forced uh, my a constituent in Winchester to, to who had uh, f- stage four lymphoma to have eighteen hundred dollars more for his health insurance, or my, my constituent Joe who used to provide free health care for his workers, thirty-two workers in a small business in Lexington since nineteen seventy-seven, and, and now had to force his 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 workers to pay for that health insurance. What what I would want to do is I want to want to make sure I vote for a law that not only guarantees that no person could be discriminated against or lose their coverage as a result of, uh, of a pre-existing condition or denied benefits as a result, but also to provide a mechanism to keep costs low and also prevent them from, ha- from losing the very doctors that Obamacare forced them to lose. Many times these are the very doctors who have the expertise and training to treat the All pre-existing time, condition. Mr. Hicks.
0: Yes, sir. I, I, I just think that we can improve the Affordable Care Act for sure. We can improve it by offering a public insurance option. We can improve it by making sure those protections stay in place. But it does need improvement. It doesn't perfect. I'm the only small business owner on this stage who pays for his, his employees' health insurance. I, I'm the only one who has lived under this and paid under this because while you've been there, you've had free government health care. And so oh. all I want to do is protect people with pre-existing conditions, bring down drug prices, make sure we don't overcharge people for health insurance premiums, for visit to the doctor, whatever it may be. And the plan that's on your website, the plan that you support, the plan that you're talking about, was scored by your Congressional Budget Office. It was scored by the Kaiser Family Foundation. And it was found to adversely affect 6.3 million Americans and would price many of them with pre-existing conditions and life-threatening conditions out of the market. So no insurance for you. You have a life-threatening condition, and under your plan, not only would they not be able to get health insurance, they wouldn't be able to get care.
2: Mr. Barr? The the CBO has been wrong so many times about this and everything else, but let me just tell you, uh, the, the fact is the CBO doesn't take into account the risk sharing mechanisms that we have in the legislation. The bottom line is the legislation that I voted for to replace Obamacare, which hurt many people with preexisting conditions, and you have to acknowledge that, because my constituents, while I was there and you're talking, and when I was actually representing and fighting for my constituents, many of them lost their doctors, the doctors that took care of their pre- preexisting conditions. They had skyrocketing premiums, double, triple their premiums. They lost the health plan that they wanted. And now you want to double down on that with legislation that would put 43 of our rural hospitals out of business. Oh, crap. Right. I, and, my parents and, depend on a wait, rural wait a hospital. Fin- no, let me you've finish. already finished your times up. Let's go, Mr. Hicks,
1: <laughs> your, your response.
0: Okay. I'll, I'll give my response. Screaming is rural not hospitals, persuasive. Rural hospitals were already in danger, holding fundraisers and bake sales, trying to keep their doors open. You know what gave them a steady, re- a steady revenue stream? You know what helped sick people, poor people all across this district? The Medicaid expansion. That was within the Affordable Care Act. You know what allowed people who had a pre existing condition, who not only were priced out of the market but denied coverage, period? The Affordable Care Act. And I don't pretend it's perfect, it's far from perfect. It was a huge giveaway to insurance companies, but we can make it better
2: not destroyed. I think the worst thing we can do is put bureaucrats between patients with pre-existing conditions and their doctor. That's what single-payer, government-run health care and the public option would ultimately lead to. It would mean that we would exacerbate the doctor shortage. It would mean that we would politicize the allocation of medical procedures. It would mean that uh, patients who have pre-existing conditions would have less access to life-saving, uh, life-improving medicines and drugs and pharmaceuticals, and at the end of the day, when has a Washington politician ever done anything more efficiently or more cost-effectively? Look right, out right. if my opponent gets in charge <laughs> and <laughs> supports <laughs> Nancy Pelosi well, I'm government. Not sure. I'm the
0: Washington politician Give you stage.
1: 15 seconds if you wanted to. You know what? World, I'm not the
0: Washington politician on stage. I'm not the one who's made a career out of this. In fact, I'm only doing this because I see he is never going to serve the people of Kentucky. He is always going to serve himself. He is always going to serve a party. He is always going to serve those who he feels can put him in a better and more powerful right. position. I wish I did not have to
1: do this, but we have to replace people who refuse to be public servants. Let's move to other topics now, and uh, the racial uh, unrest and the uh, healing that uh, we're hoping to see across America. The recent deaths of Breonna Taylor here in Kentucky, George Floyd in Minnesota, and others has created a strong reaction from the public. There have been protests across the nation for months now. What actions would you support to begin the process of healing and ensuring equality? Mr. Hicks?
0: Well, you know, we have, to, we have to listen to folks when they're hurting. We have to make sure that we're paying attention to the causes of those pain. We have to search out and find these systemic issues that, that, that hurt them, that, that cause them to be distrustful, that cause them to fear in their community. And once we listen, then we have to put it into action. We have to do a number of things. We have to make sure folks are included in lending. We have to make sure folks are included in education. We have to make sure funding is appropriate and not dispersed in an inaccurate or inequal inequal way. We have to make sure that where we have people do things wrong, they're held accountable. We have to make sure that where folks are feeling unsafe in their community, we're helping to provide that safety. And we have to make sure that we're listening carefully so that it doesn't go over our head. And we're not legislating at people. We're instead bringing them in, embracing them, legislating with them, DEALING WITH THEIR CONCERNS AND MOVING FORWARD, UNITED, UNIFIED, TO GO FORWARD, NOT PLAYING POLITICAL GAMES WITH IT, BUT INSTEAD GOING AND SAYING, WHAT IS WRONG? how do we get together on this? How do we fix it? I think that's what we need. Mr. Barr.
2: One thing we don't need to do is defund the police, defund Agreed. law enforcement, uh, which is what uh, my opponent uh, would enable lie. in Washington, D.C. with that's a the, the party of Nancy Pelosi, which just <laughs> last week voted to defund the police, law enforcement. The, the, the reality is what we need in this country, to, especially to help keep safe minority communities, is yes, we need financial inclusion, which I've worked on. Yes, we need opportunity zones and tax cuts that he wants to Take away. Yes, we need policies, pro-growth policies that have lifted African-Americans uh, up to a, p- a point where we had the lowest unemployment among African-Americans before COVID uh, because of our policies, our pro-growth policies. But what we don't need is to victimize low income and minority communities by defunding the police. That's why. Uh, I have uh, law enforcement's unanimous endorsement. The Fraternal Order of Police has unanimously endorsed me, and not a single member of the FOP has endorsed him, even though he is a former law enforcement officer. Yes, we need to bring this country together. That's why we worked so diligently to bring a, a designation of a national monument to Camp Nelson, which elevates our history and the accomplishments of African Americans to achieve their freedom. Mr. Hicks,
0: that sounds like the most performative thing I have ever heard. First and foremost, there is least one FOP member that does not endorse you. I have been an active member of the FOP for 17 years, stemming back to my time as a police officer. And I certainly don't agree that we need to defund the police. In fact, in the president's last budget, what was it, $430 billion removed from police and local services that would benefit police? I didn't vote for that budget, would never have supported that budget. It is not my politics that has caused a tiered pension system in this state, where officers after 2008 now have to work 25 years where officers in Tier 3 now get a hybrid plan. It's not my politics, it's yours.
2: Mr. Barr? Uh, there's a reason why not a single member of the fraternal order police endorsed him, a former police officer, because he insulted them by saying that they were all systemically That's racist. A lie. My question for Mr. Hicks is: If every police officer is racist, are you a racist? My and, question And, for and you wait a minute. Wait is, a minute. The other question the I have for you is: How does not know is, what the word systemic is, means? And, 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 and systemic systemic means defined, in the
1: system. My question it means is: systemic if you saw it in the system, I haven't called is, a single police officer is, you're racist. You're interrupting
2: me, sir. I am. You're interrupting me. My question is: If you saw it when you were a police officer, did you file a complaint about it? Did you file a complaint
0: about the racism that you witnessed? I I didn't witness racism when I was a police officer. You understand? Systemic racism means we have a system that treats people differently. A system that treats black people differently. A system that treats poor people differently. A system that treats Kentucky people differently. A system that is bad for one group, but good for another. A system that does not treat everyone equal, a system that instead makes winners and losers, where rich and powerful people get away with whatever they want, while poor people and people of color are held further accountable, are pressed down. And that's all I want to end. I haven't called a single police officer racist. I haven't called to defund any, any police department in this state. And when you say I've done, it's a lie. It's an important
1: issue. I'll give you a few seconds.
2: He insults the police officers by calling them systemically racist. He won't answer the question about filing a complaint because he didn't because the vast majority of law enforcement officers are honorable, good people, heroic people who put their lives on the line to protect every community. Yes, there are bad actors. It's a human institution. I support reforms that are bipartisan that would not defund the police but increase funding to the police to improve training, community policing, 500,000 new body cameras, I actually believe in enhancing resourcing to police officers so they can recruit and train the best that and get rid the of the budget. bad apples.
1: That wasn't what was in the budget. All right. If you're just happening by, you're watching a lively debate here in the sixth district congressional race in central Kentucky brought to you by WKYT and the League of Women Voters, a part of our campaign 2020 coverage. And uh, we are continuing now. Let, let's move on to this because this is a trend that, uh, you know, we notice uh, in covering the news daily. You no doubt notice it in In what you're doing right now. According to the Kentucky Office of Drug Control Policy, overdose deaths in Kentucky went up 5 percent from 2018 to 2019. There's evidence, uh, some of it anecdotal, that it has gotten worse since the pandemic. What specifically will you do to try to slow the opioid crisis? We'll begin uh, now with Mr. Barr this time.
2: Well, thanks, B- thanks, Bill. It's what we have done already. It's the fact that I passed bipartisan legislation to provide funding for transitional housing for addiction recovery, that I supported the 21st Century Cures Act and the Comprehensive Addiction and Recovery Act, that I supported President Trump's declaration of a national public health emergency, that I brought the Office of National Drug Control Policy director to Kentucky, that I formed a recovery working group in central Kentucky and eastern Kentucky to bring federal resources and grants to organizations like SPARC in, in Powell County uh, Voices of Hope, the Chrysalis House, uh, uh, Shepherd's House, wonderful uh, nonprofit and faith-based organizations that are doing peer-to-peer counseling and recovery. It's the fact that I got de- designated four counties in the 6th District, Madison, Powell, Montgomery, a- and now Clark in this uh, term of Congress designated as high intensity drug trafficking areas. And it's because I support sensible border security that local law enforcement s- say we need and that my opponent opposes to keep That's opioids and, t- and POISONS OUT OF THIS COUNTRY.
1: MR. HICKS, A MINUTE TO RESPOND.
0: BILL, UNFORTUNATELY, WHAT WE'VE HEARD IS A BUNCH OF ACTIONS THAT DID NOTHING TO ADDRESS THE STATISTIC THAT YOU JUST SHARED WITH US. THAT WE HAD AN ALL-TIME HIGH OPIOID OVERDOSE DEATH RATE IN THE STATE OF KENTUCKY IN 2017. THAT WE MIGHT HAVE SEEN MARGINAL, INCREMENTAL IMPROVEMENT IN 18 AND 19, AND NOW WE'RE WATCHING THOSE OPIOID OVERDOSE DEATHS SKYROCKET BACK UP. SO THAT IS A LOT OF TALK TO NO EFFECT. Because we are still losing families every day. We are still losing loved ones every day. My friend back home in Fleming County who reached out to me and said, Josh, I have a problem and I need help and I don't know where to go. And I spent a week or so trying to connect him with people, trying to find some place. Too far flung, Josh. Can't drive that far. Can't get there, Josh. Have to go to work. Can't do that, Josh. It's too far away. Three weeks later in the newspaper, overdose death. Right there. That's what we've gotten under this congressman, and I pledge to be better than that. I pledge to bring it to our communities and make sure it works.
2: Well, there's no doubt that it is still a massive problem in this country, and during all of these draconian shutdowns, it's gotten worse. Uh, definitely, we've seen an uptick in the number of isolated people uh, who are addicted, who do not have access to the resources and the peer-to-peer counseling, and so that's why it's so important that we've continued to work to uh, bring more resources, telehealth, other uh, opportunities, uh, rural broadband. I'm introducing a bill right now to bring rural broadband to br- provide telehealth to, to, to TO uh, THESE INDIVIDUALS WHO ARE STRUGGLING WITH ADDICTION. BUT THE BOTTOM LINE IS, HE TALKS, I GET RESULTS. All right,
0: uh, MR. HICKS, A RESPONSE? JUST THE RESPONSE IS, BILL, EIGHT YEARS IN CONGRESS, STILL KENTUCKY CHILDREN WITHOUT BROADBAND. EIGHT YEARS IN CONGRESS, OVERDOSE DEATHS STILL AT RECORD HIGHS. EIGHT YEARS IN CONGRESS, STILL NOTHING HAPPENING. HE TALKS A LOT ABOUT WHAT HE WILL DO. AND I GUARANTEE YOU, IF WE LET HIM, 20 YEARS FROM NOW, HE'LL BE STANDING HERE TELLING US WHAT HE WILL DO AGAIN. If we just give him a little more time, you've had eight years, six years in the majority, two years where your party controlled every lever of
1: power, and what we've gotten is a bunch of talk. Let's uh, move on and talk about the election process, which uh, is something that is very different this year uh, because of uh, COVID-19, obviously, in Kentucky and across the country. There are questions over mail-in voting and the potential for fraud, uh, plus a reduced number of precincts that will be open on Election Day. You have the uh, early voting that's going on as well because of the ongoing pandemic. Are you concerned about the integrity of this election, Mr. Higgs? You know, I think the Secretary of State Adams and Governor Bashir have gotten together and they've done
0: a great bipartisan plan. And I'm not concerned with the integrity of this election. I feel very good that lots of folks are going to have their voices heard, that we are going to have an election with record turnout, that everyone is going to feel secure, that they have not only early in-person voting, but they can mail a ballot in if they would like. And I think that's a tremendous thing because voting is your franchise, it's your voice. It's how you give job reviews to people who are in politics. It's how you make your will known. And so it feels like we work together here in Kentucky in a bipartisan way and really just said, look, we need to do a couple of things. We want to make sure everybody can vote. We want to make sure that everybody stays safe. We want to make sure we're doing everything we can to do the best we can during this coronavirus pandemic. And I think, frankly, it's kind of a model for states that might not have had this bipartisan cooperation for a model for folks who are wondering, how do we make sure everybody gets to vote? How can we provide a little extra time here or there for someone who might work on that Tuesday in November? How can we make sure that if someone wants a change, they get an opportunity to do it? Mr. Barr, do you have concerns about the election? Uh,
2: yeah. I encourage everyone to vote either on Election Day or early in person or by absentee. I applaud the uh, League of Women Voters for advocating for more voter participation. We need more, not less, voter participation in this country. And I do also applaud uh, Secretary of State Adams and Governor Bashir for working through this. What I do not support, though, is Speaker Nancy Pelosi and the Democrat majority in Congress's plan, which would not do what Secretary of State Adams is doing with safe absentee voting. Uh, and early in-person voting to keep our seniors safe and other vulnerable populations safe as they cast their vote and participate in their democracy. I do not support the plan that 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 would be enabled by my opponent, <laughs> which which would which would ban at the federal level all voter ID laws, which Secretary of State Adams has supported, which prevents voter fraud, and would uh, allow and enable voter vote harvesting, which is a recipe for massive fraud. So look mail out ballots to, to everybody who's registered. That is a recipe for fraud. What we're doing in Kentucky makes sense. Vote early, vote in person, or vote absentee.
1: Mr. Hicks, you have an additional response.
0: Just to say, Bill, that I'm glad everybody in Kentucky gets to vote the way that they feel most comfortable. Uh, Whatever Ms. keeps them Mr. most safe. Mr. Barr, or
1: anything
2: else? No, I, I just would encourage everybody to vote, and I, and I will strongly, as your congressman, I will continue to oppose policies that are coming out of the far extreme left which would rig elections, which would enable voter fraud, and that would not be safe for uh, ensuring that every everybody's vote counts, and would and uh, allow non-citizens to have their 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 uh, vote vote cancel out citizens. About?
1: All right, uh, let's talk about uh, what what Congress potentially c- could do, can do where things are in terms of uh, uh, relief bills being tied up. The national debt is increasing. We all know that, and the COVID-19 pandemic is only making it significantly worse. Uh, Congress is divided over a relief bill. The approach, how to go forward. A $600 federal boost to unemployment benefits ended. A loan forgiveness program for small businesses expired. Airlines have started mass layoffs as a federal payroll assistance program ended as well what should congress do next mr bar
2: well i've been working on uh... in a bipartisan working group uh, where we can find common ground and one place where we definitely can find common ground is a reauthorization of the Paycheck Protection Program that I helped create in consultation with the Treasury Secretary and uh, a number of other emergency liquidity facilities at the Federal Reserve, uh, emergency loan programs for other businesses uh, to keep people on the payroll. It was very successful, but we need a streamlined forgiveness process. I have led that working with our local community financial institutions and small businesses that have benefited. 51 million jobs have been saved as a result of, of this. And um, we absolutely need a reauthorization of this program, but we need it to be improved and targeted to those industries that are truly distressed. I also have a bipartisan bill to help the commercial real estate sector and the hospitality sector. I've got a bill that I've co-sponsored that would help uh, the destination marketing organizations like Visit Lex because the hospitality sector has been hurt just like the airline industry. And so we need a targeted uh, uh, fifth package here.
1: Mr. Hicks, your response? Agree that it needs to be targeted, Bill.
0: We certainly need to target this because the airline industry that is fixing to lay off, what, 28,000, 38,000 people here in the next day or so got billions of dollars in a bailout bill. And they got those billions of dollars because they had spent all of their extra cash on stock buybacks. And so they found themselves in a cash liquidity crisis that the government bailed them out of. And it's strange to hear a small government fiscal conservative talk about and brag about sending tens of billions of dollars to an airline industry that wasn't very fiscally responsible to get itself there. But do agree. We have to be targeted in the way we do this. We have to be targeted to people who have lost their jobs. We have to be targeted to small businesses that have lost their employees. We have to be targeted in lots of our local restaurants that are just desperate and crying out for help right now as we lose unique food cultures all over this district. And we have to work together to make sure, as he said, we find what common ground we can. Get that stuff done right now. And if we're going to fight about something later, let's make sure that people who really need it Get theirs first.
2: Mr. Barr? Absolutely. And I have been working with uh, local restaurants, and that's exactly why they're applauding the work of our office. We stood up at the very beginning of this crisis, a small business response team. We've been in regular communication, not with, just with Chambers of Commerce and small Main Street businesses throughout this district, but individuals, sole proprietors. We made sure that we expanded the PPP program to represent our district. We changed the rules at the Treasury Department to bring in businesses that wouldn't qualify. We helped our racetracks that were originally not included. We worked with our, with our uh, bourbon distilleries to change red tape so that they could participate in hand sanitizer. We got results. We did the job. Mr. Higgs.
0: You know, I, I guess I just have to ask, Bill, if the job was done so well, why have we still had so many layoffs? Why do we still have so many people struggling? Why are we still losing restaurants and small business at a record pace? I, I'm not trying to be derogatory because when, when I say this. I'm Shutdowns. Not, So, Governor Bashir is the cause of it. You had it saved, but Governor Bashir was the cause of it. This is what this guy thinks. He will take credit for anything that he thinks will get him reelected, and he will avoid all blame for anything that might make him look bad because he is a career politician, not a bipartisan worker
2: across the aisle who wants to do the right thing, but just somebody who's worried about his job. Let me tell you what will prevent the economy from opening up safely. Trial lawyers who sue... Small That's businesses. A lie. My opponent, That's a lie. My, oppo- my opponent You're has criticized liar. me for PAC contributions I have. when they have come have. from the businesses and the businesses that know I'm advocating for, for you. From your who money comes wait, from let me Let me finish. The, the, his number one supporter are trial lawyers who oppose reasonable liability protection. They know that he is going to if protect them, people like him to sue businesses to keep who would them protect shut you from down. Bad corporations. What we need is we to would safely reopen with liability protection so that they're protected. From people like Mr. Hicks. Yeah. All right,
1: Gentlemen, let's move on. Uh, you know, we have uh, reported and talked a little bit earlier about the uh, Postal Service uh, having its role in the election this year, and it has its financial challenges uh, that have been going on uh, even before the pandemic, and they've been uh, uh, laid threadbare during the, the pandemic. Various proposals call to uh, drop Saturday delivery, uh, for one thing. Others call for more federal government investment or to let the post office simply charge more. Uh, What approach do you favor for the post office, Mr. Hicks? The post office is an absolutely critical service
0: that not only provides rural folks with cost-effective ways to ship mail, to conduct small businesses out of their home, to receive their prescriptions, but it employs veterans all across this country. The post office is incredibly important. We should not be ending Saturday service. We should not have to hear the stories that we've heard of veterans waiting weeks and weeks and weeks for their life-saving prescription medications to come to them in the mail. We should not be hearing stories about postal workers concerned about their ability to do their job. We should not be hearing stories about people scared that they're going to lose their rural post office, like the one my parents in Fleming County depend on as their lifeline for mail to the outside world. We don't have a, we don't, we don't have a mailbox at home. We have a post office box. And I'm going to tell you that rural post offices will be on the chopping block first under all the the plans that I've seen to treat this as some money-making venture and not the service to the American people and the employer of veterans that has always been. I want to protect it. I want to make sure we fund it, and I want to make sure it stays around.
2: Mr. Barr. Well, I support preserving Saturday delivery as well and I support the bipartisan plan to reform uh, the postal service. What I do not support is what it sounds like my opponent supports, which was Nancy Pelosi's plan which was hyperpartisan att- attempted to ram through a uh, a bailout of the postal service that frankly was not needed, a borrowing ad- additional 28 billion dollars uh, when we should have been focused on a- Targeted coronavirus relief. There's enough money to to perfectly uh, deal with the postal office's immediate, short-term, and next year challenges right now to fund the postal service well into next year. Uh, the fact of the matter is, even with uh, all of the mail-in voting, voting and the absentee voting, uh, there's uh, more than enough resources to get the job done. Uh, it's it's uh, enough money in a single day's uh, mail, something like one additional day of mail uh, to take into account all of it, even if every American requested a mail-in ballot. So uh, this was a political move that distracted us from, frankly, doing another round of true coronavirus relief efforts.
1: Any further response on that? We move on. We can move on. Our economy uh, in the Bluegrass area uh, relies on immigrants for the agricultural and equine industries uh, to name a few. Uh, What approach do you take to support uh, this uh, important part of the economy, this important uh, and controversial uh, part
2: of our economy at times? Mr. Barr? Well, I have a, a pretty clear record that safe and legal immigration is good for our country. I believe in legal immigration and it dishonors legal immigrants who have stood in line and waited their turn and, and gone through the legal process of getting a visa or a guest worker uh, participation in the guest worker program, then to have people cut in line and get special benefits. Uh, look, I think uh, we can have both border security and keep uh, drugs and criminals and terrorists out of our country, protect our southern border, have sensible uh, a border wall and sensors, lights, cameras, technology, uh, while an interior enforcement, which I have supported consistently throughout my term, while at the sta- same time, streamlining legal immigration for high-skilled workers to make sure we have American competitiveness, and also agriculture workers. Uh, I have c- voted consistently for legislation that does both. They're not incompatible, and uh, there's a reason why the Kentucky Thoroughbred industry supports me, because they know I've got their back on agriculture workers.
1: Mr. Hicks.
0: I think, Bill, that we can have... Like he said, a strong and secure border. I think we need one, in fact. And then I think we need a clear and fair immigration system, something that everyone understands, that is fair to everyone, that doesn't push anyone to the front of the line, but instead make sure everyone gets an equal opportunity to come here and do the right things the right way. And so we need to do things like fund our immigration judge system. We make make sure there's plenty of those. Make sure we have enough resources there to process these things in a timely manner. Make sure that we lay out the rules very clearly, very fairly, so that if someone breaks them, we can hold them accountable. And we can do all of those things while still preserving immigrant labor that works so hard in a district like this, that comes here and does jobs and supports industry and, and builds things up. And we can support those folks, too. We can hold those folks up because they're the ones that are driving so much of our economy. They're the ones that are doing these jobs, not just on horse farms. They're doing the jobs at the meatpacking plants. They're doing the jobs all over this country, all over this district. And so it's important that we've got a safe and legal way to get here and a way to lift them up and honor the service that they have for our economy. Mr. Bauer, further response?
2: Well, what we don't need is a trial lawyer advocating for helping illegal immigrants avoid deportation proceedings. We need enforcement of the law to to make it fair for people who do it the right way. I have had the privilege of speaking to uh, uh, new citizens of this country in naturalization ceremonies and it dishonors. Uh, their work to become citizens, to actively advocate for illegal immigration, and to oppose sensible border security, like my opponent does, opposing I've a border never opposed wall sensible
0: border security. And anyone who is a client of my firm is only there because they are eligible under the law to seek relief. That's if you had practiced law for longer than fifteen minutes, you would know my ethical duty is to go forward and only take on clients who have a reasonable claim to relief to go forward and make sure that folks are protected under the law in every way I can, but not to break ethical rules, not to do anything against the law, but instead
1: just seek whatever way that they might deserve relief under the law like anyone else. We have really seen uh, access to the Internet become vital uh, for children as they have had to learn from home in recent months in the situation we're in with many schools closed, some of them trying to have in-person classes, but uh, many families uh, can't afford access or the devices that, uh, that are needed so that that is uh, seamless and the, and the children can learn. What can Congress do to assure that all families have affordable access to the Internet and and broadband speeds in Kentucky? Or is there a federal role? Is this a state problem? Mr. Hicks? I believe there is a federal role. I believe the federal
0: role is to come in here and see the problem. And then as a part of any infrastructure spending, that it reaches into these rural districts, that it brings broadband Internet to these children, that it funds public education appropriately so that we do have the resources if we are facing something where we have children learning in NTI or where we have communities that are dependent on jobs that are now on Zoom or over the internet where everyone just gets a fair shot and a fair chance to be able to succeed. And so the federal government as a part of infrastructure spending has to come in here and make sure that last mile gets run, that it comes in here and makes sure that every holler in this district, every place in this state, every child in Kentucky has the same opportunity to learn, that every individual has the same opportunity to participate in a modern economy, to do all the things they need to do. We should have done it a long time ago, but we have to now move forward and get it done immediately because our leadership has left us behind, and we've got to make sure we get it done from the federal level where we can. Mr. Barr?
2: Once again, my opponent likes to talk about things like rural broadband. I've actually worked on it and done it and helped Improve connectivity for every household. No, we're not there yet, but I have voted for the Farm Bill, which authorized millions, hundreds of millions of dollars for rural broadband, for middle mile infrastructure, for critical community facilities. I voted for an appropriations bill that increased funding by $650 million for rural broadband deployment. I've introduced a bill uh, called the Pandemic Rural Broadband Expansion Act, a bipartisan bill that would allow local governments in my district to use their coronavirus relief funds to expand broadband. broadband for distance learning and for uh, telemedicine. Uh, I voted for the Farm Bill and the CARES Act, all of which had uh, uh, additional funding. I also supported the, the Federal Communications Commission's Rural Digital Opportunity Fund and made sure that the money went to the right things to expand a rural broadband. And it finally, I opposed an Obama-era regulation net neutrality which reduced investment, private investment in rural broadband by 3.7 billion dollars.
0: Mr. Hicks. Bill, I'll say the same thing I've said about all the things he talks about is that it hasn't had any effect because I still got the phone call from a teacher in Nicholas County absolutely beside herself upset because she could not instruct her students because they did not have rural broadband because their family did not have access to telehealth. That because these children were at home trying to learn in the midst of a pandemic and the best they could do was get a hold of daddy's cell phone when he got home and take a look at it and try to do their work on it. So for all that talk, Sure, hadn't been a lot of action here in this district.
2: Well, you know, the one thing that the the six district colleges and university presidents have told me is what they're worried about the most: trial lawyers suing them, <laughs> and that's keeping sure. educators shut down. Sure. That's keeping that's that's one of the things that's keeping many of our colleges, universities, and our schools very scared to reopen safely. The American Academy of Pediatrics says that we should be opening our schools, our schools but the schools are are scared to death UK of is lawsuits, open. Have you frivolous. Been here? Frivolous lawsuits, UK junk has students lawsuits. students on campus. Well, sure it does, and, and but guess what? They're running the risk of a frivolous lawsuit from There trial is no lawyers. such
0: thing as a frivolous lawsuit. Again, if you
2: had practiced law, you would well, know this. Eli Capilouto no has, 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 has talked to a me about lawsuit. it. The EKU's talked about it. Berea College, Georgetown right. and College. And yet they're attended. still open. Morehead State is concerned and about it. they're still open. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, guess what? Yeah, they, they, don't, they don't. They don't support your position on I, this. I want to give
1: you time for closing statements a little bit, but I have one final question here, and it has to do with this district. THE SIXTH DISTRICT IS A TRUE MIX OF uh, URBAN AND RURAL, AND uh, DIFFERENT uh, DEPENDING ON WHERE YOU ARE. IT'S CENTERED ON LEXINGTON, HAS THOSE FAST-GROWING CITIES AROUND IT LIKE GEORGETOWN, RICHMOND, NICHOLASVILLE, WINCHESTER. THE STATE CAPITAL IS IN THE DISTRICT, BUT SO ARE SMALLER TOWNS AND and, and RURAL AREAS. uh, AND THE VIEWS AND THE VALUES AND THE PRIORITIES CAN BE VERY DIFFERENT EVEN WITHIN THE DISTRICT. HOW DOES A MEMBER OF CONGRESS REPRESENT A DISTRICT LIKE THAT?
2: Mr. Barr? Well, I've had the privilege to represent this swing district, this diverse district with Republicans, Democrats, independents, suburban, rural, urban for the last eight years. And it's no secret that not every constituent of mine uh, agrees with every vote that I cast on the right and on the left. But I will tell you, it makes me a better congressman because even when my constituents disagree with them, I get a chance to listen to them. And if you're in the job as I have been, you start to learn and listen, yes, there are constituents mainly left-of-center constituents who like certain features of Obamacare because uh, there was the guaranteed issue on preexisting conditions. But there's also other constituents who had a very different experience and were hurt as a result of Obamacare. It makes me a better congressman because I'm seeing all sides of this. And again, the fact that I've had the privilege to do the job, get results, find solutions, has made me bipartisan in my approach. I serve in a bipartisan working group, and I just passed one of the most transformational bipartisan bills this Congress, the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Act, with a liberal congressman from California, unanimous vote in the House because we worked together to to preserve the future prosperity of our signature industry, Thoroughbred Racing. Mr. Hicks, your
0: your response? That bill was never going to happen until Mitch McConnell approved it. And you know that because you worked on it for six years and until he came down and patted you on the head and told you to go, you never got it passed. And so here we are. In this district that is all varied and wide and rural and urban and suburban and all over the place, we've got mountains, we've got foothills, we've got grasslands, we have people that are all different, but they all deserve to be served the same, and they all deserve someone who's accountable to them, and they all deserve someone who shows up, who comes back, who listens to them in person and is accountable for the votes that they're mad about. We don't pit people against one another. We don't take a look and say, well, these folks are over here and they like one thing and they got part of it and they want to keep it. But these folks over here, they didn't like that. So we're going to take it away and make this other side angry. We instead improve things. We don't destroy things. We instead improve things. We take our constituents' wants and desires and needs, and we try to represent them the best we can. Uh, Mr. Barr, quick rebuttal.
2: Well, once again, he talks. I've done it with my accessibility initiative, with my recovery working groups, with the Sixth District Veterans Coalition, with my service on the Veterans Affairs Committee, with the fact that we help our constituents every day with lost Social Security checks, with lost veterans' medals, with disability claims. I just passed a bipartisan bill In the Congress, out of the Veterans Affairs Committee, that keeps our Veterans Disability Questionnaires online during the pandemic so they can continue to get the benefits that they have earned. I am doing the job. I am delivering results, and I'm doing it in a bipartisan way. And I think that's why uh, the people have continued to reward my service. Mr. Hicks,
0: nothing says bipartisan like talking about crazy leftists and bringing up Nancy Pelosi all over the place. Nothing says bipartisan like determining that all Democrats are one way and all Republicans are another. You talk about these things. AS IF YOU HAVE ANY CREDIBILITY ON THIS ISSUE AT ALL, AFTER THE WAY THAT YOU HAVE ATTACKED AND LIED ABOUT ME, HAVE DISRESPECTED MY SERVICE AS A POLICE OFFICER AND AS A MARINE, SOMEONE WHO WOULD LIE ABOUT THOSE THINGS, I AM ALL THE THINGS THAT YOU PURPORT TO LIKE, A MARINE Corps VETERAN, A FORMER
1: POLICE OFFICER, AND A SMALL
0: BUSINESS OWNER, AND ALL
1: YOU'VE DONE IS LIE ABOUT ME. BY COIN TOSS, WE AGREED THE ORDER OF THE CLOSING STATEMENTS HERE TONIGHT, AND WE WILL NOW TURN TO OUR CLOSING REMARKS. THE CANDIDATES WILL EACH HAVE ONE MINUTE. AND THE CANDIDATES AGAIN TO DREW FOR THE ORDER OF CLOSINGS, AND SO WE BEGIN WITH MR. HICKS. WELL, THANK YOU, BILL. AGAIN, I APPRECIATE WKYT PUTTING US ON. I
0: APPRECIATE THE LEAGUE OF WOMEN VOTERS HAVING US HERE TO TALK TO PEOPLE. I'M RUNNING THIS RACE AS A KID FROM FLEMING COUNTY WHO SERVED HIS COUNTRY AS A MARINE, WHO SERVED HIS COMMUNITY AS A POLICE OFFICER, WHO NOW SERVES HIS CLIENTS IN THE BEST WAY HE CAN. BECAUSE SERVICE MEANS SOMETHING TO ME. IT'S BEEN A HUGE PART OF MY LIFE FOR A LONG TIME, BUT I GOT IN THIS RACE BECAUSE I'M SICK and tired of lying politicians. I got in this race because I'm sick and tired of folks trying to strip health care away from people with preexisting conditions. I'm sick and tired of politicians selling us out to pharmaceutical companies, to Wall Street, to payday lenders. I'm sick and tired of having to listen to the stories about the folks who have tried to approach our representative in Congress and tell him the Affordable Care Act saved my life. Please help me from Powell County. I'm sick and tired of hearing these stories, but let's be very clear. This race is not about me. It's not about him. This race is about you and who you think will represent you the best in the United States Congress, so I ask for your vote
1: between now and November 3rd. Mr. Barr, one minute closing remarks. You know, it's
2: really an honorable lifetime as a sixth generation Central Kentuckian who calls Central Kentucky my home to represent the greatest people, I believe, uh, in the whole country, the people of Central and Eastern Kentucky. I have met so many wonderful people. I've heard about their dreams, their aspirations, their struggles. their their, their uh, a family member who's struggling with addiction, the difficulty of this pandemic. And so we have made it our our effort, our dedicated uh, mission to fight for the people of Central and Eastern Kentucky every way, whether it's the service on the, uh, the committee at the center of the economy and getting forgivable loans or fighting for our hospitals and our hospital workers on the front lines of the pandemic and getting them the equipment they need fighting for our veterans and the Veterans Affairs Committee to improve their uh, life and their prospects and the GI Bill with the STEM uh, scholarship, whether it's bringing home federal resources uh, to fight the opioid epidemic. Look, uh, this election means a lot to our country, and it is a privilege to serve the people of this great district.
1: GENTLEMEN, THANK YOU VERY MUCH FOR A a LIVELY DISCUSSION OF THE ISSUES TONIGHT. WE APPRECIATE IT VERY MUCH. AND WE'D LIKE TO THANK OUR SPONSORS, GREY TELEVISION AND THE LEAGUE OF WOMEN VOTERS OF KENTUCKY in LEXINGTON. WE WILL BE BACK A WEEK FROM TONIGHT WITH A DEBATE BETWEEN U.S. SENATOR MITCH MCCONNELL AND DEMOCRATIC CHALLENGER AMY MCGRATH. The election itself, Election Day, is Tuesday, November 3rd. Of course, there is early voting that's going on uh, beginning on October 13th, but the polls will be open Election Day from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Please be sure that you get out there and vote. Uh, Listen to what these candidates have to say in these uh, weeks ahead. And we thank you for joining us tonight for the Kentucky debate here on WKYT. Make it a good evening, everybody.